could say that has come out of this is that, you know, we were all brought into each other's homes and we all saw this different side of people. And it also made people more aware that we have lives outside of just our office and these lives affect how we perform sometimes in our job. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello and welcome to Architecting. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm the host, Adam Wagner, and I have here my very talented architect wife, Rebecca Wagner. Hey, Rebecca, who do we have on the show today? Hey, I'm actually really excited about the show today because today's guests are actually the co-managing directors at my firm, Gensler. This is some some small startup called yeah, Gensler. Yeah, you may not have heard of it. <laughs> Uh, yep, we finally finally got somebody from your office on here, uh, and uh, we had a, a really fun conversation with them, just just talking about you know sort of how they how they work together with their sort of uh, personalities and skill sets and and um, I mean in just their very varied backgrounds that got them here. We talk a little bit about the sort of biggest issues they think are facing architecture and they give some advice to to young architects and and women coming up in the profession and we also had a good good we talked a, a good amount about how john hired you and not me <laughs> <laughs> uh, a happy decision i think well as an employee of six years i am a big fan of both these people um john gambrell and michelle liebling mm. Yeah, that's their names. Yes. Yeah, it was a good talk. You know, it, it was a little weird. Uh, my microphone w- broke right before the interview, and the audio quality wasn't great, and we were all kind of frazzled a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, something else have, uh, that I've been wanting to kind of talk about a little bit um, is that I think in this episode I say something about how I, I'm coming off. I, I've, I'm feeling, like, cold or... Um, I'm I'm feeling stressed or or stretched thin. Um, this this episode was recorded back in the beginning of of February, and um, and I think at that point and and now like I just have a lot. I had a lot going on and and staying up with the podcast and running a firm and teaching and and being a good father and husband and keeping up with everything. Um. Since then, I got diagnosed with ADHD, uh, and it was something that's kind of a lot more complex than than I thought that was before. Um, and so I had to kind of, since then, kind of take a step back and have a little more critical um, overview of my life and sort of mental health in a, in some ways, and and just been working with professionals to um, bring more more balance into my life. Uh, I'd been thinking about reaching out to a, to a therapist or a doctor for kind of a long time, but never did. I guess I always felt like I was too busy or, or uh, sort of sort of scared. Uh, but since then, uh, I've gotten some more help in different ways and and seen a really big and kind of profound change in in my life and mental health and general general kind of perspective. And so, um, you know, I think. I've been talking with a lot of architects, especially uh, through COVID, and it seems like a lot of people are, are really struggling uh, with sort of mental health and, and just kind of priorities and, and what's going on. And so um, 
yeah, I would just suggest anybody to try to get whatever help they can. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely no expert, but uh, feel free to reach out to me as well if you want to talk about kind of next steps or something like that. Uh, I'll probably keep talking about this a little bit more uh, just because I've seen such benefits. Uh, but like John says in this interview, it's a architecture is a really hard profession and uh, and it's easy to think or it's easy to see people and think that they're succeeding really well, but um, everyone struggles and uh, try to get the help that you can. That's awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, so uh, enjoy the episode. It was a fun one. I've been wanting to razz John about not hiring me for a while, so I finally have it recorded. <laughs> enjoy. Many of our listeners are familiar with Herman Miller, a 100-plus-year-old company known for its rich legacy in modern designs, ergonomics, and thought leadership. For Colorado, Workplace Resource is the certified platinum dealership representing Herman Miller, and we are proud to support the Colorado design community. Whether you are in the market for a functional and stylish home office setup or exploring a broader solution to outfit your entire workplace, we are the partner you can trust. The local teams with Herman Miller and Workplace Resource can connect you with research and insights, create a high-performing work environment, especially in this current shift with the way we work. We encourage you to explore our future of work hub for more information. And the link is in the bio. Conceptual thought starters. Not sure what type of solution works best? Browse our planning ideas to start the conversation. You can download Revit files and full tools to really help dial in your solution for your floor plan. And lastly, full project design, specification, and installation for small businesses to full campuses. Workplace Resource is really the place to begin. Be sure to connect with our team. We look forward to supporting our design partners in the Colorado community. And in the meantime, please enjoy architecting. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. I had this like planned thing where I was going to come in with you guys and be like, I am just falling apart. I am, am totally frazzled. I'm, I feel dead. And I have, a, I have a firm of two. How do you do it <laughs> with an actual firm? And then on top of that, we had all this tech issues where my computer stopped working. My microphone stopped working. You're, you're late. Like, but, you know, now we're here. We can all breathe. <laughs> Deep breaths. And we're on. So how do you do it? It's called deep breaths. Deep breaths in the beer. Yeah. Yeah. In a bottle of wine. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what 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 has what has your Fridays looked like? This month it's been crazy. I mean, this month's been weird. Um, just I feel like I've been playing catch up. I, I had COVID two two and a mm. three weeks ago now. I I tested. Mm. Basically, three weeks ago, I tested positive, and it's productivity went down. And then I 
you know, came back up and then I took Monday and Tuesday off and went and had some fun. And uh, nice. I'm just so behind. So my Fridays yep. are like, I need it to be Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. M- Michelle was saying it was just this miraculous thing where you healed just in time for your ski trip. But uh... <laughs> I was so excited. I've been tested negative like all week or positive all week. And then the day I'm getting a car to drive to Crested Butte, I tested negative. Nice. So. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. What about you, Michelle? How's How's Friday been? Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of meetings, right? So, um, but I, I try really hard to have a little bit of open time at the end of the day so that I can catch up because it's hard to enjoy your weekend when you feel you're behind on a Friday. So, um, trying to block out the end of the day in order to catch up on a lot of things, but you know, it starts all over again. That hamster wheel starts all over again. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, good. This this podcast is actually called "Just Teach Adam How to to Be an Architect and Run a Firm." So I'm glad you guys are on here, and we'll have all the answers. Um, uh, I like the transparency. <laughs> this. Oh yeah. Uh, so what? But what? I first like to start it off awkwardly and and make you answer this weird question of of who are you and figure out however you want to answer that. So. Michelle, who are you? Oh, gosh. You know, I I will tell you that that is one of the hardest things for me to answer. It's very difficult for me to talk about myself in general. I did tell, tell, I did pre-warn John, not that he doesn't know that already, but, um, well, let's see. Um, We talked a little bit earlier. I am a mom, you know, that's a huge part of who I am, and then, um, I'm a partner. John and I have been partners a long time now. Um, and I think a, a big part of, of how I show up every day is as a coach, as a mentor, as a, um, as a leader, as a friend, problem solver. I mean, we wear a lot of hats in our job. That's yeah. for sure. John, how about you? How would you answer that? <laughs> so it, <clears throat> I will... I've got this nagging cough, so I'll apologize now as one of the um, kind of lingering remnants um, of being sick a few weeks ago. But of COVID or of skiing? COVID. Which what's it lingering from? Yeah. <laughs> COVID. Um, have you have you interviewed Jesse Adkins? Anybody from SAR? Uh, I I interviewed uh, uh, Chris Shears. Okay, so. Uh, he mentioned this to me, and it, it's really true. Um, uh, I'm a Swiss Army knife, you know, Ooh. the hundred attachment option. So it's mm-hmm. in a lot of ways exactly what Michelle said. Um, I'm I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a friend. Uh, I'm a parent. Uh, two kids, but then in the office, I'm a from being a you know holding client relationships and building friendships with clients to being a mentor, being a coach, being a you know project architect to being a fireman and putting out fires. I mean, it's, it runs the gamut. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So, John, starting with you, like, um, how how do you how do you become that Swiss Army knife? What where where did you grow up? 
What were you around? <laughs> what was I around? Midwest. We've got a couple of Midwestern folks here. Um, I grew up in Northern Ohio. Um, hmm. And I don't know, you know, thanks to my parents, a strong work ethic, dedication. A lot of that was part of growing up. My first job was mowing five or mowing, mowing five or six uh, neighborhood lawns, saving up. I mean, I had to buy my cleats. I had to buy my skis growing up, doing, doing all those kind of things. So I think, I think some of that evolves and then just the different relationships you have from high school and those experiences to college to work to um, internships um, to the first time you really fail on a project mm. and how you pick I mean all of those come into the different little attachments that you you get mm -hmm. to have I'm definitely gonna owe Jesse a few drinks if he listens to this so what were you, what were you in terms of like what were you around like what what did your parents do and was was architecture a thing that that you saw and something you sort of directed yourself towards or did you kind of fall into it My dad sold tires my mom was a housewife and then eventually sold spices so um no like architecture was I'm I'm probably more typical um uh, from that perspective you know I took a drafting class uh, mm. in high school and, and a, a project was to design your house so I, or design a house and I drew my house <laughs> it was in an awful 70s suburban home um, but uh, I had an art teacher that said hey you should really think about it because I really liked art and I was good at math so all the stereotypes and uh, mm -hmm. I got enamored by the University of Cincinnati and um, they had this internship program and they were celebrating kids that while they're in college would go to Germany or go to Los Angeles. And I remember leaning over to my mom, telling my mom, I'm going to do that. And uh, <laughs> but my I narrowed down all my choices and my choices were to go to the University of Cincinnati for architecture if I got in. And it wasn't easy to get in, even though it was a state school or to go to University of Miami, Ohio for business. Right. And uh I got into, yeah, I got into Cincinnati, so I went to Cincinnati. And uh, in reality, I really liked it. Um, so I think somehow I'm one of, the, maybe one of the anomalies, right? The, you know, somebody who goes to college for something specific and then ends up really enjoying it. And, and I've never thought about leaving the industry. As yeah. A, so. I think that's it's a really interesting program. We just I just had Mark Swackhammer on. I don't know if you knew him, but he mm -hmm. also went to Cincinnati yeah. and was talking about that, that a lot and that idea of of really working a lot while you're in school. Um, it seemed it seemed fairly unique, you know. Uh, did you know you're getting into that, and what what did you sort of get out of it? Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew the internship program, so I knew I would get the work experience out of it um, what you don't really know is well, what does that really mean what does that look like and it was I mean the school was a very um, there was plenty of theory plenty of it really taught you design and then the practical experience through that you get from work of what's it really like to walk into a job and you've never done work as a 
intern architects and you're building models and you're doing drawings and you're picking up red lines, you know, whatever it is through the various experience, you get that practicality. So when you graduated college, it was, um, you really kind of felt like you hit the ground running. Yeah. And Michelle, so he said a couple of Midwesterners. Where where did you grow up? I grew up in St. Louis. Mm. And then um, I spent, after college, about 14 years in Chicago before um, moving here. So a huge part of my life in the Midwest before moving here almost, I guess, 13 years ago. Nice. Well, we'll we're going to make you talk about yourself a lot more, so you can't skip that, that far ahead. Um, so St. Louis... <laughs> Uh, were you around design? Did you grow up around design uh, as a child and kind of got you towards this track? You know, it wasn't something that actually registered until I was older. Hmm. My, my grandmother was um, an interior designer hmm. in New York. Um, and when we were kids and we'd go stay with her, she had all these little plastic templates shaped, you know, with the chair yeah. and the sofa and all. And we, we played with those all the time. I was sort of fascinated by those things. She had um, really beautiful fabrics and materials. And then her house was just so interesting, you know. And, and I think at the time, it just, that was just my grandmother. Yeah. When I went to college, I, architecture, interior design, it wasn't even on my radar. I, I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. I was taking history and psychology and just a whole slew of classes that was not holding my interest at all. Um, and um, finally, uh, my junior year, I was meeting with um, one of the ca career counselors, I suppose, and she just asked me all these questions and um, it just, brought me to the place you know so i so i started taking design classes and i um felt like this is where i need to be finally um everything kind of made sense um, it did take me a little bit longer to graduate from college when you choose your major as a junior um but um that it, it just kind of fell into place after that so that was at what university of missouri and mm -hmm. so you graduated with the what interior architecture degree or yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, I think, um, I, I think they've changed what the major is called a, a variety of different times or what the degree is and since then, but yeah, essentially interior architecture. So did you feel, did you feel more prepared going into that program with sort of three years of very varied education? Uh, and did it, did it seem like you had, um, maybe a different experience than your, some of your classmates who might've gone straight through? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was a very well-rounded student, that's for sure. You know, having been um, in a variety of different schools within the college and, and you know, trying a variety of different things. So I, I did have a pretty broad experience base. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I thought about it as an advantage mm. compared to, to the other students. What was your sort of biggest takeaway from, from that program? I, I think at least at Kansas State, there's an interior architecture program, which is very different from like an interior design program. And um, I assume that might have been the same way at, at University of Missouri. Um, sort of what, what, what were the surprising things that you took away from, from that education? What was it? It was, 
I think an interesting time to go to school in the sense that we were just starting to experiment with um, technology that is now just ubiquitous. Hmm. And and John, maybe that's similar for you. I mean, we were just starting to do AutoCAD. We were just starting to um, um, be introduced to um, some of the more robust rendering programs and things like that. I did have a job um, at an architecture firm where we were, um, was really where I was a lot deeper in some of the technical programs and things like that. But it was just looking back there, it was an interesting time because there was this transition from hand rendering to um, more computer-based communication. So um, looking back, you know, it was literally this, this sort of pivot point, I think. Mm. And when I got, to, when I started working, there wasn't really, there wasn't really that, that hand rendering was sort of on the outs and everybody was starting to look at it being more technology-based. And so um, being on the, the, just at the beginning of that, in a way, you know, I wasn't as experienced as probably somebody graduated three, four or five years later than me. Mm. It's, you're, you're, you're only on that cutting edge for about that first year that you graduate, right? And then, then you're, then you're obsolete <laughs> again. Yeah. I think it depends where you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, talking a little bit about, you know, John's experience at, at Cincinnati. I mean, I do believe that, you know, I, I had a great experience in college for a variety of different reasons, but, you know, my, the, the whole basis of my experience and um, is the first several jobs that I had. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a reason that um, there is this whole apprenticeship idea with architecture and, and design, because everything I learned is really from those first few firms I worked at. Hmm. So how did that happen? So you graduated you had some internships in school and what was next? Where'd you go? Um, then I packed up and went to Chicago. I had some friends that, that lived up there. And um, to be honest, I, you know, I was like 19, 20 years old. I do not remember the thought process exactly that went into that, but I did just pick up and move to Chicago. Um, and um, started looking for a job. I, um, it was a difficult time. This was like, um, 1996. Um, it wasn't super easy at that particular time to get a job. I started, um, temping actually. Mm. Um, and then, um, did that for a while until I found, um, my first job there, which was at this firm called BOA mm. Associates. And then I worked there for a, um, a few years. It was a big firm. Um, a few years ago, they were bought by Scantech, actually. Mm. I worked there for a few years and then um, started working for a firm called Gary Lee Partners. And I think that was really the most formative experience that I had. Um, the, the people that I worked with are still um, some of the most talented people I know, still very dear friends of mm. mine um, that I... Um, see and spend time with whenever I'm in Chicago. Um, and that was about five years there. Hmm. And so now, John, so you have you have this experience uh, in Cincinnati. You graduate. What happens then? <laughs> well, so the... Um... You woke up in Chicago as well? Yeah. Not quite. Almost. <laughs> Not quite. <Yeah>. Um, <clears throat> so that, I... Uh, 
through Cincinnati with the internship, I took advantage of it. I mean, I kind of, I, I did what I told my mom I was going to do. And I got the opportunity. I lived and worked in New York. I lived and worked in London. I, hmm. They offered hmm. a travel semester. I took off and traveled Europe and Turkey and did that for a couple months. Um, I lived and worked wow. in LA. Uh, and then I hmm. lived and worked in, in Chicago in the six-year program that is University of Cincinnati and then graduated. And um, wow. a lot of my classmates, oh, I'm going back here, or I'm going here. And, and I remember I, I did, I, I, I received one job offer. <laughs> and that was from the firm I worked at in New York City. And um, it was really low. <laughs> and I, I couldn't stomach kind of living there and living in a really small unit with three, four people, <clears throat> which is how we lived as, as interns when yeah. we moved out there. So <clears throat> I bartended through college. So I, when I graduated, I kept my bartending job and uh, mm. I framed homes. So I became mm. a carpenter and did that for I don't know, about nine months. It was the middle of the winter. Um, and after, mm. you know, pounding my thumbs with a hammer a few times, I said, I have a college degree. I'm going to go get a job inside. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> still kept my bartending job and worked for a kind of a small developer design builder group. And they did a lot of light industrial type projects. And, and while I was with them, they ventured and did their first uh, commercial office building. And I hmm. was, they had a design group of three people and I was one of those three. And then they had a kind of a technical group of about eight that would do all the hmm. CDs. So, and wow. they were on opposite ends of the building. I mean, a horrible oh, process fun, to where fun, the design yeah. group would sit over here <laughs> and then they'd give everybody, and you would never talk about it again. You just go on to their next design thing, and then they would just execute um, from there. Um, and then one day, I just kind of got tired of Cincinnati, and I upped and moved to Chicago, hmm. and worked for a general contractor. And hmm. was kind of allured because a, a really good friend of mine uh, still lives in Chicago. Um, said, "You got to come to Chicago. Come work with us. You know, get this experience." And I did, and I did more pre-construction work in today's terminology and some project management work and, and did that for about a year and a half. And it was a, they're not in business anymore, um, which is a good re, good thing because I learned <laughs> a lot of the scrupulous, scrupulous things <laughs> that contractors could do. You know, I've watched one guy white out a, a bid that he got and change the numbers to put it in his open book. Um, um, stuff so it was not enjoyable from that perspective but I learned a ton and then I, <laughs> I at the time I met a girl who's now my wife and she mm. was talking about moving back to Denver and I didn't want to work for that contractor anymore so I went back and got a nine-month master's at the University of Illinois Chicago didn't really need it but I was exploring what would teaching be like and I think two weeks in, I realized I'm not a teacher. I'm trying, you know, TAing a theory class um, at the University of Illinois Chicago. And so did that for nine months. And as soon as I graduated, um, we moved out 
to Denver. So my wife, who's from here, was moving home. And... What, what's the, what's that program? A nine month program. So it, what, uh... that's kind of at the time I I think they've changed. I mean, in the architecture program, we I graduated at Cincinnati with a full bachelor's, mm-hmm. and at the time somebody with a full bachelor's could go back and get a master's of architecture in, in one year. So nine months, you know, start in September and finish in May. Mm. And university of Illinois program was that it, like there were other programs that were two years and some programs that were three years. Um, and so I just took the opportunity to get out of working for that yeah. general contractor and nice. end up with a master's. You you had one more slot open on your Swiss Army knife, and you had to fill it with with another but degree. It was it was uh, only a six or a seven tool knife at that point. Yeah, <laughs> past then it's like one of those full leather men that just really bolted in your pocket. Right. Uh, so Michelle, you're you're hanging out in Chicago. How how'd you make it? How'd you make it to to Denver? Um. Well. Uh... All these years in Chicago, those the winters <laughs> sort of get you. <laughs> and there were a few years where it was just really bad. I mean, you don't leave your house, or you just—it's so cold, painfully cold. Even with your inside jobs, it, you're not even pounding nails, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you're waiting for the L, or you're you're walking, you know, a mile to the office from where the L's. I mean, just there's you still are outside a lot. Um. But I came out to Colorado with some family and we went um, skiing for the weekend. And afterward, flying back to Chicago, I, it just, there was some kind of spark that just made me think, well, what if, what if I lived there? What would that be like if I lived in, in, in Colorado? What if I had more and, sun? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I just started saying that more, you know, and then all of a sudden, once you sort of put that out there, things start to happen. And I asked a friend of mine um, who actually worked for Gensler if he knew any firms in Denver. And he said, well, Gensler. Um, And he um, arranged a... um, dinner with me and one of the principals um, in the Chicago office of Gensler. And at that time, the Denver office was part of the um, North Central region. So um, the hub office was actually Chicago. Um, and so we had dinner and, and basically he, he offered me a job at that dinner um, to, to move to Denver. And I came out and um, I did a house hunting trip and I met several of the people in the office and like I said one thing just led to another and it just started happening um and so I bought a house sold my house and moved out here and got the job at Gensler yeah Mm -hmm. I I spent about six months in the Chicago office of um Gensler as it as it um as I started to get things ready to move out here but yeah. Yeah, I think you know you guys are interesting. Where I've had partners on before, but they've always been partners who have founded a firm together, right? And I'm, I've been like slightly nervous about how this goes, uh, where you know you sort of have divergent stories, but then it comes together 
at Gensler. And now, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting to me of how you're sort of co co running, uh, this firm. So John, how did, how did you land here at Gensler? Excuse me. <clears throat> so uh, he was smoking a big cigarette. Yeah, and then he had yeah, right. <laughs> Try to calm oh, down. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, in some ways, it's not special. Um, knowing I was going to come out for move to Denver while I was in grad school, I came out to Denver a handful of months um, earlier. I'd done some research. I had met some with a few people in Chicago that knew of the Denver market and they recommended a few firms. And at the time, I mean, this was 2000, Junior. So it was the, the spring, late winter of 2000 and it, there was a huge hiring boom. And I interviewed at six firms, got six job offers, which at the time, nothing special because everybody was growing, um, part of the mm -hmm. dot-com bubble and, and, and um, what was kind of coined at that time. And my internships while I was at the University of Cincinnati were a lot of corporate type companies. And Gensler was one of the six and they were the one I ended up choosing in part because of the, for me at the time, it was, we have the opportunity to, to where you can do work in other offices. And if we get slow, that's how we, hmm. you know, and I really bought into that, not so much as a job protection if we get slow, but more of, all right, I'm going to move to Denver and I could work in other offices. And, hmm. and um, that was in June of 2000. And within the first three, four years, I was actually, I was back in Chicago. I had living in hmm. a corporate apartment for like three months off and on, helping with work. We had the opportunity from Denver to do a lot of work in China. And I was going back and forth and, and working on projects internationally. So it was it was actually everything I was looking for that I was nervous about. Would I really get that type of experience working for a firm in Denver? And mm -hmm. interviewed at the firms that I thought you would. And the firm's been really good. It's grown a ton. Um, the office has grown a ton, but it, I've always felt like there's a different experience around the next corner. Um, Mm -hmm. Hence, I've been here for 22 years. Yeah, you know, you know, Michelle, this isn't uh, my first interview with John. Uh, early on, <laughs> I had an initial interview, and uh, I made I made one big mistake, and I brought along my more talented wife, and that one got hired, and I did not. And uh, uh, but so obviously, I know a lot about Ginsler through my wife. Uh, and, and, um, every time I, I see John, he, he always whispers to me, I got the better one. And I don't, I don't like, I don't always appreciate that, but I mean, he is, he is true. Uh, but, uh, inside joke. um, <laughs> uh, inside joke. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, you know, obviously through Rebecca, I know a lot about Gensler, but I think, uh, give me a pitch. Why is Gensler good? What, Tell me, tell me about, tell me about Gensler. One of you, or you're like, yeah, you know, you probably, you probably have the marketing thing right there. You could like read from it. And, but I think, I think more for me, like maybe the question is, um, you know, 
it's good that you hired Rebecca because I, I probably wouldn't last it very long. I don't last very long at firms and I like to uh, sort of have my own firms and have smaller things. And, and that's a very different uh, experience from a, a more corporate firm. And, and obviously there's sort of pros and cons to, to each of those. And I think um, I see a lot of benefits to Ginsler and the way that they work and sort of like um, the different experience of that firm. So pitch me on that. So one of the reasons I was I was pausing to see how Michelle would jump in and answer that because I think part of I was pausing to see how John would jump in and answer that. But part of it is who we're talking to, right? I, mm. I think that's one of the really interesting things about Gensler is if if it's a client, <clears throat> I think one of the things to say is because we're a research driven organization and the amount of effort that the firm puts forth and every office in the firm puts forth to share what we're seeing on a project type by project type basis um, would inform knowledge and that knowledge then gets built into the work that we do. And that was kind of how we would talk about it even 15, 18 years ago as I started to learn being with the firm. And now the firm is so much more intentional about the research that we do and the publications that we put out that we can really bring world-class architecture to every market um, that we're doing work in um, because the firm is also so small especially as you get to a leadership level to where we know michelle and i know and other leaders in the office know almost people in every office to call to get direct expertise and and hmm. the firm is so wired to answering the phone and, and being a part of those conversations to where quick conversations can make profound impacts on projects. Hmm. So from a, from a client side, I, I think that's one of the, the big pitches, um, but we're still local. We're still in our backyard. Um, and we're, we still can compete from that local perspective um, in our market. I think there's a misperception sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. a firm of our size and, and what it means to be quote unquote corporate, because we still are this network of 50 small, smallish offices, some, some very large, but this really connected collaborative network of offices. And the firm, you've probably heard this, Adam, you know, the, the notion of the one firm firm. And I think because of um, the organic growth of the firm and not buying other firms and not you know growing in that way. Mm -hmm. There is this really strong culture to where you can just pick up the phone and call anybody in any other office. And there's already this baseline understanding because we have such a strong culture, but everybody is really willing to help and contribute to the success of others. And that, that I think that I haven't, before working at Gensel, I've never seen that type of collaboration before on a firm of our size or heard of any any collaboration like that on a firm of our size. Yeah. And so how does it work mm -hmm. in the the Denver office? So how how's how's the, the the office sort of broken up and how how do you two sort of co co lead it? You can't both wait for each other to talk. One of you has to talk. Well, I hate it. Like, Michelle, just, Michelle just did what um, 
Yeah, I always feel like I'm bumbling through a response or something like that. And then Michelle speaks and it's so eloquent. And, and it's, I'm always like, oh, I wish I would have said that. <laughs> um, no. No. What was the question? So how, how's well, the firm broken I, up? I, yeah. I can start. I, I can start. So John and I are co-managing directors of the office. And then we have two studios, each led by each co-led. So there's um, one of the studios that we call Workflex One because it's a variety of practices. And then another studio, Workflex Two, because it's a variety of practices. Um, and so John and I co-managing director, and then each of each of those have co-leaders as well. Um, and and other than that, you know, it's it's a, a group of um, leaders that are given opportunities to lead. So in a way, you know, I'd say that we have um, that structure that I just mentioned, but we're also flat in a sense that we give leaders the opportunity to lead um, without um, necessarily having to be told to all the time. You know, we, we provide a runway and room for people to step up and lead. It's <laughs> something I'd, um, I'd add to, and this isn't a Denver only. I mean, the, the firm believes in a co-leadership model, um, hmm. and we weren't always uh, a co-leadership model in Denver, but it is an acknowledgement that we, we, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And that's, even though Michelle and I are very similar in a number of ways, we, we do have strengths that are different. And, and that's another um, benefit. And, and, it, and it helps us as we talk and debate on issues and solve problems and, and develop um, kind of strategy about how we're going to progress and proceed so it's that's another kind of important fact you know and even down from architecture and interiors um, perspectives I'm, I'm much more operational um, and technically minded Michelle's a design director um, and her people approach is is probably arguably a little bit stronger than mine though we I think we both have strengths in that category so it's that's another acknowledgement and even into the studio structure we have co-studio leaders um, and we are thoughtful about <clears throat> strengths and weaknesses even from making sure that we're pairing people that um, we we think turn into really good partners hmm. yeah and so michelle you had you had all these different work experiences um and and sort of brought you to this point with Gensler. what What's a project at Ginsler that, that's really stood out to you um, in sort of maybe best capturing this working system of Ginsler and and your sort of like design and, and leadership style and it and it just it really knocked it out of the park in its built form. Um, I one of the most rewarding projects was our own office. Mm. I mean. They took Revit away from me after that. And the, I don't, I don't get to do CDs anymore, or actually draw anything. But you know that was, that was a that was a really rewarding project for so many reasons. One, it was because it was um, significant uh, milestone in our leadership. You know, the, the transition transition to our leadership um, of the office. So there was a little bit of symbolism there, but. Um, 
we had um, a large team working on that project and being able to um, bring um, a, a group of people together in a really collaborative manner in a way that um, resulted in um, this place that we um, are able to do our best work, you know, out of this place that we collectively designed is, is really rewarding. And um, John, when, when was that five, five years ago? Has it been five uh, years? I think it's been like eight. I mean, there are two years. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it, it's so, been longer than I've been in Denver. Yeah. And so at least six or seven. I think we're coming up on seven year. years in five the Five years office. before the pandemic. Five years before the, <laughs> the, the blackness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, so to me that that is um, that was one of the most rewarding projects. Yeah, and it, and it works really well, and I think yeah, on, on a lot of different levels, right? Uh, and of thinking about sort of uh, um, collective, different scales of collective work, and and of gathering and and working, and yeah. Um, well, there's there's a really great experience when you, know, you you design a space for your client and then you get to actually go experience the space by having meetings in there or um, you know wh whatever it might be for you to experience that space and we get to do that every day in our own office and so that's where that sort of compounds you know there I I remember being younger in this. Um, and, and designing spaces for our clients, and you may or may not ever get to really go experience it, but then the first time you're in the conference room having a meeting in this room that, that you designed, there's it's very powerful. And so you know to be part of that experience every day in an office that we all collectively had a role in is, is pretty great. Yeah. What about for you, John? I mean, I was hoping... Like, you, you, you're, you're hoping I'd forget. Yeah, like, I'm hoping you'd go to a different question. On this interview. Uh, no, but I think, you know, that, that Swiss Army knife, knife thing is interesting, and especially with all the experience that you had of sort of development, construction, school, your, your, your theory TA, <laughs> what, what did all that, what did all that um, meld into? Uh, I guess maybe, maybe a, a high point for you um, design-wise or or within your career, let's say. I'm gonna, I'll approach it, I'm gonna bring up two things. Um, <clears throat> kind of one of the first high points of my career, I'm gonna tell you is kind of embarrassing because it was, somebody told me I, I'm gonna take over a project and I'm gonna run this meeting because the project leader at the time was out sick. And the first thing I did on the project was I called the client to cancel a meeting. I'm like, we're not gonna meet today. It was bad weather and I wasn't prepared. And, and uh, the client called me back and said, no, we're gonna meet. And he showed up in the office and we all got in a conference room and um, we had the meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I unbeknownst to me he went to the principal in the office at the time and said keep john on the job in that role hmm. and because um, hmm. i was only supposed to fill in for a little bit and that was the first time i led a project soup to nuts start to finish hmm. and that was really rewarding the first time that you're really given the keys to the car and you didn't wreck the car um is, is really rewarding 
And when you when you tried to give the keys back in the beginning, and then <laughs> I don't want to force to take. Yeah, <laughs> it's too much horsepower. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Then the other one I'm going to say is, is really kind of where I am in my role now. The amount of impact we have on projects and the role I think Michelle and I sit in now is is much different. And we can be heavily involved in a project from encouraging a team to go a little farther, um, giving the team an opportunity, fly to New York and go look at this project and see how it worked before we just haul off and do it. And that's my conservative nature too. Um, but then getting the opportunity to walk into the project and be, wow, this really turned out amazing. And then also getting an, being the type of project where somebody's gone, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee and let's go here. And you're just, because they like it. And you're then mm. just, wow, you know, we did, we did really well. And, and knowing that you had involvement, you know, sporadically kind of through the whole project, but it's, it's a different kind of, wow, we're doing really good work. And it's, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. Yeah. So Michelle, let's go the other way. What what was a, the lowest point in your career? Do you have a day that you remember that was the hardest? Just all good days. Uh, just <laughs> I, there's, I you know, it, it can be a, a roller coaster. I, I will say there are um, there are degrees. I suppose you know at when when the pandemic started, we had some hard times, you know, and there were some significant challenges. I'm grateful that during those times I had John as a partner. And I think that's when you really realize how important um, a strong partnership and friendship is because, you know, sometimes one of you is really down and the other one brings you back up and um, vice versa. So those were some, those were some difficult times. Um, when I was younger and, and starting my career, there were there were challenges just being a woman mm. in um, architecture and construction, and you know being um, the only woman in in the room of 20, 30 men, and just trying to navigate that as as a young person starting your career, um, and and some of the challenges that sort of occurred in construction sites and and things like that just thickening your skin and, and figuring out how to navigate some of those difficult um, issues. But I mean, I, I said earlier on, I mean, I, I am a, a problem solver. I, um, and I think that out of difficult things, positive things um, can be a result. And so, you know, as, as hard as things seem, you know, if you, have an optimistic point of view, you can find the good in some of those things that are that are really difficult. You, you learn from them, you become um, better, you become stronger, you're, um, you add more tools to your Swiss Army knife um, and hopefully are, are better for all those really difficult things. Right. I mean, I think, you know, your, uh, the role you're in is not, is not typical for, 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 for a female and, and, uh, 
and I've heard from multiple people like how inspired they are by you and how you how you lead and work in the position you're in and being a mother and I mean uh, what sort of do you have any sort of advice for for other women trying to navigate all those in that career path you gotta give yourself a break mm. I, I I really think that you know we and not just women but people in general and and I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to succeed or to have, um, you know, the best idea or, you know, to, 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 um, put, um, you know, the, the, the strongest concept forward or, or whatever it might be. It's just, you know, there is all this stress and pressure. And, um, I think I was saying this to somebody the other day, you know, in, um, when you make a decision to um, go to a meeting instead of something for your family, you know, in when you look back, you don't remember that call or that email or that meeting you went to, but you will remember that you didn't attend this thing for your family or you didn't go to this meeting for your kid or you missed their um, soccer game, you know, and, and I think that it took me a little bit of time to realize that, but, you know, John and I try to remind our teams all the time is that that stuff is so much more important. And when you have a, a strong team environment, hopefully others will pick up for you. So you can go do those things that are actually really, really meaningful and important to you as a human being for your family. And I think it's critical to, to remember to put that first. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's so difficult. I, I, I feel like, especially this week, I've just been like, crushed by it by multiple things and it's like last night rebecca was like you're not fun to be around like you're like this cold shell right now like you something needs to change here you know and, and i think it's so hard to sort of pull your mind out of uh this task right here is the most important thing and i it has to be done or, or whatever you know and pull yourself back to your kids or your life or whatever um john do you have have you figured that out can you give me the answers please <laughs> In a lot of ways, is what's it's exactly what Michelle said. It's 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 trying to do your best to. We're we're not we're not performing open heart surgery. Yeah. You know, nobody's nobody's. If you if you don't get that extra detail into the set of documents, you know it's not the end of the world. And. But the hard thing is, there's still art, in what we do. You know, and it's that sometimes I think solutions in our business sometimes come really quick. A lot of times they come through a journey. Sometimes that journey is not easy. And there's stress that comes into that. And there's frustration and there's um, <clears throat> differing opinions. And it's how do you balance all that while still trying to do your best work and proceed in whatever your individual career path is and where do you want to excel? And I, I really think Michelle nailed it when she said, you know, it's, sometimes it's, take a step away and, yeah. and don't try as hard or don't put as much pressure on yourself to um, just kind of um, breathe a sigh of relief or take a deep breath. And we even started this call, oh, take a deep breath. But um, the other thing I, I think is transparency. 
Yeah. And, I, and I really, I, there are times where I do this and there are times where I forget to do it, but I really feel like I've always been rewarded when you become transparent with mm. somebody. And, and that's Michelle and I have a relationship to where we are very transparent and share our feelings. And if we're mad, we're mad. If we're stressed out, we're stressed out. Um, and we can kind of talk to that. But even when you share it with clients, share it with colleagues, it, it really can transform the immediate effort that you're working on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we had two really crazy, interesting, difficult years, right? And, you know, one thing that I, I could say that has come out of this is that, you know, we were all brought into each other's homes and we all saw this different side of people. And it also made people more aware that we have lives outside of just our office and these lives affect how we perform sometimes in our job. And, and it, it, um, there's now an opportunity to be transparent and share some of those things more openly, maybe than before. Mm. Yeah. Here's why I didn't get to that, you know, and there's an understanding now, whereas maybe there wasn't so much understanding before. Right. And I think, you know, the, the, the issue of the pandemic is really interesting. And I think, again, Gensler as a larger organization that allows or is able to do sort of more research and more thinking that then is shared amongst the body. What, let's start with John, what, what do you see as, as one of the biggest issues architecture is facing or, or, or our time is facing that that maybe you're um, concerned about or that you, you're optimistic about sort of the, the, the power of designer architecture to address? A nice easy one for you, <laughs> softball. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's an easy one. I mean, we talk about we're at the forefront of the built environment and how can we impact our communities but also impact the environment. Um, through what we do. So, I mean, the softball answer is we have the ability to actually do things in our work that whether our clients ask us to or not at times. Mm. And how can we benefit our, you know, the, the other side of this, if it's a building, the other side of the street um, or, you know, the back side of the street or the block down? Because we can. I mean, we really, we can steer programmatic choices and orientations and suggest to our clients, say, hey, you should do this here or design this building to be able to accommodate this type of use <clears throat> um, from a community impact perspective. And then we can, we can choose products that go into the building with intent that it's going to be a little more efficient or a little more performance. We, as an industry, can, hey, we're going to put a little bit more money into this mechanical system or the overall envelope design, and we're going to take away a little bit of the floor ceiling glass to be able to make that affordable. Hmm. So I, I think that's the one thing of, <clears throat> you, it, there's really a lot of control in, in each and every one of us in the industry, from the most junior person on the project up to a project leader that's having the one-on-one -on -one 
conversations with our clients. And I, I think that's something that we have to talk about a little bit more um, in the industry and make sure that people really understand that we, we are in a driver's position and um, let's make the most of it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's easy to feel like you're in the backseat sometimes, you know, when you, you're not able to be making those sort of the biggest decisions that make the biggest impact. But I have from the outside seeing that from, from a Ginsler point of view of, of, of sort of leveraging that, that power or that research a little bit more. And um, yeah, it's been nice. Michelle, what about you? Uh, you had some time to, to think about it. Uh, what's, what's a big issue you see? Well, I mean, one of the things that uh, almost every one of our clients is asking right now, at least our workplace clients, is well, how, how do we go back? Right. And what, is that, what does that look like? And, you know, there isn't one single answer for, for everybody. Um, it's, it's one of the most interesting times, I think, as it relates to creating workspaces that are um, really enhancing the experience of its users, but also, you know, a, a significant driver in the way they perform and, and function in their business. And, you know, there was a time when um, the quantitative programs were all kind of the same. You know, we need this many offices, we need this much, you know, this many conference rooms, and it was sort of driven by this more of a, a real estate perspective. And now it's really driven by, um, a people perspective and you know how how the experience of the office really affects the people that are spending so much time there and how that um, influences the the way that they do their work and how that ultimately impacts the business as a whole so there's this there's a whole other story about the purpose of the workplace now mm -hmm. and what do, you, what do you think about what sort of insights do you have into you know, the effects of COVID and sort of the change, that change in workplace and that change in downtowns, especially, you know, uh, do you have any projections about sort of how, how downtown buildings might change or, or the, the use of, of office space? Or John, but. I mean, I, I'll jump in first. Um, I, the office isn't going away. I still think it's, and, and I think it's, some of this is temporary as it relates to this whole notion of how much real estate do I need and, and, and this and that. And there's been market, significant market fluctuations um, many times before. I mean, the interesting thing, people still want to come downtown. It's proven, not only in Denver, but in other markets. If you... I'm, I'm affiliated with a, um, a couple of um, a board and a, and a council with the downtown Urban partnership. And they presented the numbers, the hotel use, the weekend use, the restaurant use in our downtown is actually hitting and at times exceeding pre-pandemic numbers. So people are coming back downtown because they want the experience of eating in our downtown and staying in our downtown. Um, but, but, Workers are still at 20, 25% those rates. Mm. And <clears throat> that's going to change. Companies are going to start to say, we want you to come back. Um, and people are going to learn that there are a lot of benefits of going back and building the community of those who you work with. 
but flexibility and mobility is here to stay. I, I don't think there's any way to not say that. If, if you're a dinosaur company that's going to expect your employee to be in the office from eight to six every day, you're going to lose people. They're just not going to want to work for you anymore. And and I think regardless of the industry or the business, that's um, something that we're going to contend with. And I think that's one of the, the beauties that Michelle and I, we work for a company that has had a people first um, focus. And how do we balance that people first focus with still providing the best work that we can for our clients while still making a positive impact in our communities is it's going to be un, unclear and we're going to try some things and pivot and um but we're we do know i believe that any company is going to be a higher performing company if they have people working in the office together mm -hmm. it's it's actually been really fascinating to experience this at the same time that our clients are mm -hmm. experiencing yeah. it and you know and and being leaders of an office going through something that our clients are going through at the exact same time has been has been really interesting. And um, you know, we we had this disruption two years ago, and it took us this time. You know, there's this there's this transition to where you get to a point where you sort of figure out, okay, this is how we're doing things, and now we are about to go through it again with people starting to return back to the office, and it won't be this perfect thing right out of the gate. We have, we're all gonna have to transition back and be agile and figuring out um, how to manage that trans transition until it gets to a point where it's um, starting to work well. And then, you know, the, then something else will happen. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, you know, I saw, I saw a study, I think it was out of uh, Ginsburg, New York uh, about, um, you know, transitioning office buildings into housing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and what do you think about that, the, the, the feasibility of that and the practicalities of that? You know, like, um, it seems like such a, a strong idea of bringing people back into the core more and using this space that might be underutilized. But how practical is that in your mind? It's very practical. And we've yeah. done it in Denver. I mean, uh, 10 years ago, um, hmm. 1600 Glenarm was one, Red Peak Properties. Um, hmm jumped into that it was a, i think it was an empty office building and had been for quite some time and they transitioned that building into a uh, residential and it's a very very uh, well-performing project and I, I think it's since traded hands multiple times it's got some amazing retail on the bottom of it and there are other buildings just like it in town um, so it's it's not that hard um, it's just comes with some different hurdles that you get to go through and how do you, can you afford it? And in our market, you know, the, the affordability and procurement and all that kind of stuff is definitely a little trying, but I think also back to the energy performance, you know, tearing down a building or having an empty building, still running a mechanical system that's keeping you know two tenants in the building warm you're running it across the whole building so it's horribly inefficient so being able to promote and push those types of transitions i think is paramount yeah nice well you know i you know i think that that idea of the the sort of people 
first approach. You know, I think it, it's easy. It's easy to look uh, at, from the outside of Ginsler. Yeah, as a, a sort of larger, largest, you know, big firm. Um, but you know, have, having somebody on the inside, I, I've definitely seen the sort of effects of of your leadership and the leadership that that you that set up there in the office and and just the the work environment that that Rebecca loves. And so, yeah, I appreciate your your leadership within the community. And um, thanks for coming on talking. Thanks for having us. It's nice to hear that feedback. Thanks, Robin. Ditto. Um, so thanks for thanks for reaching out and uh, giving us the opportunity to uh, listen to our voices. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll enjoy it. Not so much. All about yourself. Not so much. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, guys. You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. One of the, uh, in the throes of a pandemic, Michelle and I were interviewing for a really big projects and you know there was a lot of pressure for the interview to go really well because like anybody we had people didn't know where the next project was going to come from and this was going to be a this was going to be a one of those whale projects in the office that would keep a large team busy for a while <laughs> and early in the interview <clears throat> what you can't see on the screen right now is at least i can't um because michelle's camera is kind of tight in on just just her head but there's a door just off to the left of Michelle and we're early in the interview and the door opens and you see this hand throw something and it, we didn't know what it was at the time and it hit Michelle in the back of the head no. and a number of people started laughing and Michelle just kind of went like this. If, if she paid her daughter to do it, it was the most brilliant move ever because it just deflated everybody in the room. Because it's like, how do you, how do you handle that? And a couple people laughed, and Michelle kind of just took a deep breath and just kept moving forward. But it just brought this reality of what we're in, and um, it, it was. I forgot about that because now she's in like all the yeah. meetings. If she sees it, she's like, "Ooh, can I be on the camera?" So just knowing, so now, I mean, breaking the ice, yeah. and, and knowing that we're all dealing with these crazy things about working from home. And oh, it opened up this whole new realm of marketing, huh? That this maybe like sympathy marketing or or comedy or yeah. Well, it really brought everybody to an equal level. I mean, there are times where when you interview, you're like you put so much specialness on the client, or you mm. know, and it's, it's you put them on this pedestal and you're really trying to woo them or, or this or that. But when you, when you really boil it down, we're all the same people. We all going after the same things. I, I just, remember. we're all the same size, little squares on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No one gets a bigger square. That's, yeah. We all have our names underneath it. So nobody has to remember yeah. anybody's name ever again. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Michelle, I'm, I'm curious. I, I didn't I didn't bring it up in the interview, but uh, you want to talk about like your 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 brief uh, time at Oz, where you kind of boomeranged back, or do, do, do you uh, do you not speak of that? No, it's it's a secret. You know, um, when 
when I started, when I got to Gensler here, it just wasn't a fit, really. I mean, it, there isn't anything more than that. Is that, you know, I, I worked in that Chicago office for, for a little while. I have been in Chicago a long time. Friends of mine worked there. And, and I got here and it was just a different experience. I wasn't a fit for them. Not, it wasn't a fit for me. And um, so I was let go from the firm. And it, and it wasn't like a huge surprise at all. I mean, I had my stuff all packed. I kind of knew, you know. You had the files copied over. And, uh... <laughs> and, um, and so then I had a little bit of time off. I mean, it was also scary. You know, it was... 2009, mm -hmm. it was not a great time to be looking for a job. Wow. I had just moved here, bought a house, you know, so, so it was a little scary, but um, I got a job at Oz and I had a really great experience there, some, some really great people um, and um, worked on a, a few um, pretty fun little projects. And then um, I got a call from, um, Walter Hunt, who is, um, who was one of the, um, let's say, had a very strong legacy with the firm. I think Walter was like one of the fourth or, or fifth employees, mm. I think. And he started firm. the Denver office. Um, he started the Denver office. Um, and he called me and he asked, he's like, I want, I want you to come back to Gensler. And I kind of always knew that somehow Gensler would be part of my future again, you know, and, but I just, I, I didn't want to go back to the firm, the exact, if it was exactly how it was when I left, because I didn't want to go back, you know, and it still not be a fit. Um, but the office was in the middle of um, a transition. And so the timing made sense. And that was really where John and I's friendship kind of started was that second time around. Um, and I'd say that, you know, when you think about a co-leadership, you know, ours is unique to me in the sense is that it was just really through this series of unexpected opportunities that we just over the years started performing these complementary functions, you know, and it just organically occurred. Um, yeah, I mean, John, I was going to say, I mean, I <laughs> over 22 years or 15 years, you know, for your, what your role is in the, in the company changes. And, you know, <clears throat> when we were going into the great recession, I was not calling the shots at all. And I just remember going, that was the dumbest decision when they let Michelle go. Hmm. But, and we've talked about this since, you know, when, when she came back, I think she came back better stronger more she knew our market um and i think she was much more she was able to make a huge impact coming back much quicker than had we potentially not let her go and hmm. and i i think it's <clears throat> see good things happen yeah bad things. yeah so and, and right. every company every firm you know there, there's high points and low points and there's evolution that's going to occur i mean we're, we're 49 years this year um, as an office in Denver, and hmm. that's part of our evolution, you know. And when we were rebounding, when Michelle came back, we were started to rebound out of the recession, and that's when we 
became part of the leadership team, which evolved into um, us coming into the office. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting and I, I've always sort of been curious about this, you know, obviously I was, I'm pretty close with Blake Moyer and, and sort of his time there at Ginsler. And it seemed like there kind of after the recession, there was a, maybe a big kind of leadership change mm-hmm. where like, uh, like young spry guys like yourself, John sort of, uh, took over and and you know i mean the 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 leadership of the firm is relatively young right there uh like brent has a lot of gray hair but he's not that old probably i think and you know uh, uh um but uh yeah what did it did it feel like that at a certain point where sort of a, a younger group uh rose into leadership somehow and and you know you've been able to kind of keep that core for a while yeah i mean i think all good firms have some consistency, and that's something I think we we have a lot of. Um, and we we a lot of people stay here for a long time. And but at some point, careers end, and that was part of being one of the oldest offices of the firm. You know, we're going to turn forty nine later this year, and we had some principals that were starting you know, looking to retire and, and do that. So we, not only are we going through the Great Recession, we started to, get, to have a succession, leadership succession in the office. And, you know, when when we took on those leadership roles, there were a lot of other people below us taking on different leadership roles. And we talked a lot about, we were all growing and evolving. And, and that doesn't happen overnight either. It took us a number of years. And I remember a client, um, mentioning, I think his quote was, it's been really fun to watch and you can tell that you're starting to hit your stride. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a, a personal comment. That was a comment about our office. And right. it's, it's great. Now we've got this consistency and we're, we've diversified so much in terms of project types and, and the different things that we're doing. It's, it's, it's really exciting. And I think we've got an opportunity to just take it to the next level. Yeah. Cool. You can edit that one out. <laughs> Where I said cool, yeah. No, the whole thing. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you guys, if, if you guys want to listen to this before no. it comes out, uh, I can do that. But um, uh, I don't know if, uh, yeah, if Johnny wanted me to edit out the, the interview part, uh, but uh, I'm not. But uh. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I, I do know that we have said that to each other. <laughs> you know, John's literal words when we were sitting there together with Rebecca was he said, I don't know if I can legally say this, um, but do I have to hire both of you? <laughs> Well, I don't know the story. So what? you guys were both in interviewing at the exact yeah, well, same time. Yeah, well, so we were, so we were, we moved to Denver and, and I, like, like this podcast, I just loved sort of reaching out to people and connecting with people. And so I, I reached out to John pretty early and, and he was, he was great to, uh, you know, he connected with us pretty, pretty early on um, before, months before he moved here. And um, yeah, so we both came, I think we said like, Hey, you want to grab some coffee? And we both came to the office and, um, uh, yeah, and you know we we were both going through our portfolios, and 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 Rebecca has like this nice uh, hospital from uh, Caesar Pelli's office, and she has this like transport hub, 
and then and then I have like this um like this this border border town on the on the border of U.S. and and Mexico where it's connected by a roller coaster where you go from life to death and you can be bo- you can choose which side of the border you're born on and you can choose which prescription drugs you have based on which side you're on or what kind of surgeries you want to have and then there's this it ends in a cemetery and and John that's when John's like do I have to hire both of you or <laughs> well in, in all in all um candidness we we only have one position and, yeah yeah and, and we we wanted to hire Becca and yeah, you know I, and yeah. they were like mm, is it a two for one deal yeah and the the roller curler hospital didn't help so uh, <laughs> oh, it, no. uh no, it worked. It we worked actually got Brent, Brent. I feel like I remember this now. This was like this. It, you guys were like the Wonder King couple or something. It was <laughs> yeah. like it was we like wanted this, to hire both these amazing, honest. amazingly talented couple. Yeah. Now I remember. Right, we had right, a lot right. of dialogue. Like, John, John sent you a text and said, "Hey, say say that they're both talented." Yeah. <laughs> no. no, I think I remember this now because it was, and it's not easy to have. Yeah, I mean, we do have married people in the yeah. office, but you know, it's not everybody. Yeah, no, once we, yeah, we weren't gonna end in the same spot. I mean, we were a little different because we we had a firm together before and stuff, but um, yeah, yeah, and that work yeah. that was in your portfolio was really good. I mean, that that sounds amazing. Actually, I remember both sides of that going, "Wow!" I mean, because yeah. that's the impressive part. I mean, you guys had your own firm. And things when people, you know, you're running a business and handling those kind of things and handling clients and stuff when your peers weren't. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good things that you learned along the way and a lot of problems that you face, both of you, along the way that people may never learn working for a larger office, depending on what their yeah. growth and, and responsibility level gets to. Yeah. And I think, you know, it goes both ways. Like I definitely lost out on a lot of things, uh, you know, sort of went directly to being a firm owner and never had like <laughs> the intern stage. Uh, uh, so yeah, pros and cons, but. Here's one of the things I will say, Adam, is that, and you know this probably from, from having your business in the past is that you do have to accept that part of your job will not be design yeah. and architecture yeah, anymore. You know, you kind of have to set, you have to set time aside knowing that I'm going to be doing stuff that is HR and mm-hmm. risk management and contracts and all this stuff that is maybe not the funnest part, but is, will eventually be, you know, as satisfying as some of the other sure. stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I think my time, teaching has also been really helpful there where I'm sort of used to having like 12 projects going on where I'm commenting and directing and I really love that and it's like kind of like that more than me like having to draw every 12 projects you know uh but right now I just don't have any of those students working for me yet so I don't can't have that (laughs) yeah Mm. I I think you guys have take interns it, it, once we have more money, I would take some interns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, what we do is really hard, is something that we say. And I think 
it doesn't matter if you're a one-man show or a partnership or six-person firm or an 80-person firm. It's, it's hard. I mean, just designing a yeah. building is hard and all the technical stuff and getting a permit, but then managing the business is hard and the people issues are hard. I mean, it's, yeah, it is really hard. Yeah. Hard and mostly fun. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be doing yeah. it if we didn't enjoy it. I heard one architect told me it's like, uh, what do you say? Ar architect architecture is 25% fun, but that 25% makes it worth it or something like that but um yeah, yeah. Maybe my favorite part is well whenever i was gonna say my favorite parts when something's getting built and in, in a lot of ways that's the longest part of the project process so mm. depending on where your true passion lies you know you can also i would argue that in some ways it's more than 25 percent is yeah <clears throat> fun Depends where you're working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, cool, guys. Well, thanks. thanks for coming on. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day -day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.